how to be a long-term thinker in a short-term world. How to know whether or not you should set a goal. How to know whether or not to pivot from one goal to another. How to ensure that you don't set the wrong goal and so much more coming right up. This is episode number 449 with best-selling author of The Long Game, Dory Clark. Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome back to the Best You Podcast with me, your host, Nick Carrier. At Best You, we exist to help individuals who are hungry for growth get closer to the best version of themselves so that they can live meaningful and impactful lives. One way that we do this is through the 10-week transformation where we help people lose body fat, build muscle, and create healthy habits so that they are a positive role model for others. If you're interested in losing 5 to 20 pounds in the next 10 weeks, then go to nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to get started today. Again, nickcarrier.com slash 10WT to get started today. Today, I am so excited to bring y'all Dory Clark. I've literally been looking forward to this interview for about a year, which is ever since I read her Wall Street Journal bestselling book, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. This book, I'm telling you guys, has played such a pivotal role in shifting my mindset towards patience. It's helped me keep my focus on the process, on the journey, and not on the destination. It is one of the books that I literally recommend to anybody, no matter what stage of life that you're in. Now, along with being a best-selling author, Dory is also a professor at Duke University and Columbia University, and she's a speaker and business consultant. But before diving into the episode, make sure you're subscribing to the Best You Podcast on the Apple Podcast app, iTunes, Spotify, YouTube, because there are so many great guests coming your way, and you guys do not want to miss both the advice and the motivation that these guests are going to be able to bring you and, and help you along your journey to get closer the best version of yourself. So make sure you're subscribing so you get notified when the episodes come out and make sure you share it with a friend or family member as well by sending them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And if you enjoy the show, then I would love it if you leave a five-star rating and review. But without further ado, here's to getting closer and closer to your best you with the one and only Dory Clark. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Best You Podcast. I have been looking forward to this interview for, I feel like, almost about a year now. Uh, I'm really excited today to be joined by the one and only Dory Clark. Dory, I just want to start off by saying thanks so much for spending the time with me today. Nick, thank you for having me, man. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so to give you a a little backstory, I think it was about a year ago that I flew out to Salt Lake City because Scott Miller is one of my mentors, and I spent the weekend with him. And uh, he always like loves to give me book recommendations, but I always know when book recommendations are ones that like I definitely need to read versus ones that like oh I can maybe get to at some point based off of his level of energy behind the recommendation. And when I was there in Salt Lake City and he gave me a copy of The Long Game, I was like, I'm I'm in. And so I I remember reading it towards the end of last year, The Long Game, How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. And I was telling people that I was training this morning about how excited I was to to interview you. And so I'm really excited to really get in that today. It's such an important topic for all of us to know how to apply into our own lives, but to give everybody some kind of quick overview on you and, and, and your kind of career journey. You first thought you wanted to be in academia way back when, and you applied for a doctoral program, but then 
you didn't get in and didn't get into any of the programs and so you didn't really have a plan b but then you were like okay i'm going to become a journalist and then you were a professional journalist for about a year or so but then you got laid off the day before 9-11 is what i understand the day uh, september 10th 2001 and so it couldn't really find another job in, in journalism so you got into politics and you were a part of a spokesperson in governors and, and presidential races which is awesome but the governors and presidential races you guys didn't win uh and then you started running a nonprofit. And then you started your own business in 2006. And so the whole idea I'm trying to get at is your career was all over the place and kind of the different things that you, the different endeavors that you took part in. And your book is called How to Be a Long-Term Thinker in a Short-Term World. So what do you say to somebody who like kind of wants to think long-term, but they're like, I know my career is just going to be all over the place. Or even if I ever do plan it, never, it's never going to turn out the way that I plan it out to plan it out to be. What do you say to that person to be like, yeah, well, we, maybe we still need to think long-term though. Yeah. Thank you, Nick. And that's a, that's a great recap. You, (laughs) you have the whole arc there. (laughs) I think honestly, when it comes to long-term thinking, Part of what makes it so important is the fact that the the short term can be so crazy and so up and down, right? I mean, it's it's true. I feel like my experience was possibly a little extreme, but I'm not that much of an anomaly because these days most people do have multiple jobs or multiple careers before they settle on what they're going to be doing. And certainly, even if somebody settles on something, that doesn't mean they're not going to change their minds later on or want to or need to make career alterations. The the crucial thing is not the up and down of the moment, but it's about the long-term intention. I mean, the thing I love about long-term thinking and strategic planning is you can have a 20-year goal and it does not matter. It literally matters not a whit if you do not know how to reach that goal. That is fine, because it would almost be presumptuous to say, oh, I've mapped out my life for 20 years and I literally know today exactly how I'm gonna get there. It's like, oh, really? Did you predict a pandemic? I mean, you know, come on, we we can't do it. All we can have is sort of broad brushstrokes and intentionality. And I think having that is important because it's, it's really like the stock market. You know, if you are an investor and you put your money in, and you know you put it in today and then tomorrow the market goes down you're going to freak out if you're if you're taking a short term position you're like oh you know i've i lost $1000 already this is a terrible investment but the truth is if you're thinking all right is it highly likely that over 20 years if i just leave it alone that you will have more money at the end than you do today the answer is almost certainly yes and similarly with our careers if we have the long-term vision of, you know what, I'd like to have a career where I am working with entrepreneurs, or I'd like to have a career where I'm helping kids or, you know, like whatever your North Star is, if you hold that, even if there's ups and downs, even if there's layoffs, even if, you know, AI eats like half the jobs and you have to reconfigure, you will figure it out because you are being directionally correct in where you're going. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's so critical from a, an emotional standpoint too. Like you said, it's like if one of the biggest reasons why long-term thinking is key is because the short-term is so unpredictable. And I think that so much time people 
focus so much on the ups and the downs of today that they lose perspective that the down of today is probably not that big a deal. It's it's not gonna it's gonna be a blip when they go back for in a couple of years and and take at, take a look at it from a five thousand foot view. Yeah, absolutely. It's you know what I like to say is that you don't you don't need to know all the steps along the way. You really just need to know two things, which is what is the vision of the end goal and what is the thing you're going to do next. And that literally is enough to carry you to your 20 year goal. Okay. I love it. So well, let's, let's just go right into that. then. if, so if somebody is like, okay, I need, I need to know two things. I need to know my vision for the long-term goal. And I need to, I need to know the next things. What are some of the questions that we need to be asking ourselves or some things that we need to be doing to explore what the long-term vision for maybe our career or just generally our lives should be. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, you know, some people already have a sense of it. You know, they're like, yes, you know, I, I, I know I want to do X. I want to do Y, you know, and, and if you already have the vision, you know, fantastic. You're, you know, let's, let's start accomplishing it. But there's plenty of people who maybe just aren't sure. And so for them, I, I think that, that oftentimes we also get hung up a little bit on, you know, oh, I have to have the perfect plan. I have to have it, you know, totally figured out. And I think something to remember, we we can change our minds along the way. That is totally okay. And also it's, you know, it's it's fine to just think of it as a as a provisional plan. You know, this is my plan until something I like better comes along. That is that is literally okay. Um, a wise person changes their mind when new facts arise. Um, mm. You don't have to cling to the same vision if circumstances are different. Um, you might have a very different goal for yourself, you know, when you're single, let's say, as compared to if you have kids and get married or something like that, your idea of what a great life looks like 20 years down the road might change fairly significantly. And that's okay. And that's actually appropriate. But some questions that we can start asking ourselves to begin to figure it out one of my favorites is actually, uh, who are you jealous of? <laughs> I mean, yeah. you, know, you could you could start with like, who do you admire? That's nice. But I think sometimes something that's even more salient is who is it that you look at and you're like, oh my God, how did he get that? How did he get to do that? Because those it's sparking something in you. I mean, it might manifest in a way that's not great. Who knows? But it's because something's resonating. It's like, oh, I wish I could have the freedom or the autonomy that he seems to, or wow, I love the idea of being able to live in that beautiful place or, you know, whatever the thing is. But if you peel it back and you really try to understand, all right, what's making me react this way? Like what, you know, what are the things that I wish my life looked like? That can actually be a really useful trail of breadcrumbs. Uh, another one that I think is useful sometimes is to ask yourself what you used to like to do as a kid. Because mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, the things that we chose to do when we had total choice, you know, we didn't we didn't have a lot of obligations. We were doing it because it was fun, because it was interesting. Those things often have clear adult analogies. You know, some people really like to build things or to make things. Some people, you know, like me, like I used to really like to write stories. And a lot of times there's continuity in terms of where your inherent interests lie that you can mm -hmm. you know, follow the strand. I don't. Do you have do you have yeah. a one year plan, Nick? How do you think about this for yourself? <laughs> um, I, I kind of I do have an idea of kind of where I want to be in twenty year uh, in twenty years. I do. Um, 
do I know the steps along the way? Absolutely not. But I, I luckily I've had enough helpful people around me to get me to think that long term uh, f- on a frequent basis to where I have. But the thing that I need to continue to make sure I don't do is don't convince myself that I can't do it just because I don't know the plan or, or I don't have the expertise now, you know, realizing that there is so much time between now and then. And that time is just opportunity to be able to grow into the person that is able to live into that, to that longer term 20 year vision. But I really thought those questions were awesome. And you said that a wise person changes their mind when new facts arise. And I think that in order to get closer to the best version of yourself, it is really important to have both skills of like discipline and focus and and no matter what, you're going to get the thing done that you said you were going to get done. But also you need to have this malleability and you need to be able to tweak when new facts arise. And so one of the things that I've pondered on is what does what is the criteria for a new fact have to be that should that should be okayed to switch the goal i don't know if that makes exact sense but it's like if if you're if you're trying to be a person of discipline and you have a goal but then new facts arise and you're like wait does that mean that I should change goals or is that just something else? How do you know whether or not that new fact is something that should change your goal or not? Right. So I think uh, we have to think about what, you know, what type of fact it is, right? And whether, yeah. whether it, I know, it was very, there was, it was very non-contextual of a question, but <laughs> all, all good. Right. We'll, we'll parse it. Um, I, I think also a big question is, does it impact whether you want to do the goal or does it impact mm. how you would accomplish the goal? And those are, those are two yeah. sort of important things. So for instance, I mean, something that I experienced myself. So a, as you were mentioning at the beginning of our interview, Nick, my original career goal for myself was to be a professor. I wanted to be in academia. And then, you know, my, my facts on the ground is that I applied to uh, three different doctoral programs and I got turned down by all of them. So all of a sudden it's like, oh, I guess, guess that's not going to happen. Um, but, but the truth was at the time it felt like a kind of final answer, like, oh, that's, that's not going to happen. But it actually, it actually wasn't. I mean, first of all, it didn't necessarily impact my core desire about why I wanted to be in academia. It was just like, oh, okay, well, the powers that be are not making this happen. But what I later discovered is even though there's sort of an established path to a career in academia, that is not the only path. And so, mm. I mean, sort of stunningly, because it probably would have taken me, you know, I was looking at fields in the humanities and, and it often takes seven or eight years to get a doctorate in those fields. But within three years of being rejected for the doctoral programs, I was actually teaching college courses at Tufts University, which is, you know, a pretty prestigious school um, without a doctorate. <laughs> because I had kind of found a side door in, uh, because most universities have a sort of, you know, professor of the practice sort of situation where a, you know, a, a reasonably qualified professional can teach a course about their area of expertise. And so I was able to start doing that. And, you know, today I teach at Duke, I teach at Columbia, you know, so I've gotten to work with some wonderful schools, um, still never having a doctorate because I've built up expertise that, you know, at least theoretically, people are interested in. 
uh, and I'm able to share that with with students there. So that's that's pretty cool. So that was something that you know it was a fact that I had to take into account, but it just meant all right, I have to change the tactic to get to the goal that I wanted. Now I think something that's that's very relevant is does the fact deter you know has something fundamental changed that would make you not want to do the thing and so you know an example might be that you know let's let's say you came up and your whole life everybody told you you should be a lawyer oh you're so well spoken oh you you make you're you're great at arguing oh you're a good writer you should be a lawyer that's what people like to tell the literary types right um, so everybody gets fed this idea about, oh, you should be a lawyer. And so you might be thinking this all along, but let's say you do an internship, uh, at a law firm and you're like looking around at what these people actually do all day. And you're like, wow, this is boring. This is, this is not what I want my life to look like. And in fact, you look at the people who are the most successful lawyers and a, a again, a very useful, uh, question to ask yourself is would I want their life? You know, you look at the, the people that are like the paragons, right? The partners, the you know, the people mm. where it's like, oh, everyone's aspiring to get to that. And you say, wow, if I actually could achieve that, would I want that? And if you look at that and you say, absolutely not. No, I don't want to work those hours. No, I don't want to have to be, you know, working by myself all day, you know, locked in, you know, looking at these to these legal tomes, then you know, that is new information that you did not have access to before because you weren't, you know, up close with lawyers. And so it would be perfectly appropriate to change your goals at that point. Yeah, no, I think those were a couple of the awesome, awesome points brought up and they were, you know, principally based that so many people could apply it to whatever their, their fact is that arises in their life and see it through that lens. Like you said, does it change whether or not you want to, or does it just affect the how? And some of the examples or some of the things that I was thinking about, you know, if it affects your want to, because it's just a little bit harder than maybe you thought, like maybe you still should, but if it's a lot harder and it's going to take five more years and maybe you're just really honestly not willing to sacrifice those five years, then, then maybe not. But it's really important to dissect the the fact of the new information that comes into your life and, and really assess it kind of through that lens. I thought that was really key because I think sometimes people will have the new facts come in and they think from a short-term perspective, I'm not going to be happy in the short term because of this, because of this fact. And so I'm, I'm not going to continue on this goal. I'm going to do something else, but it's like, Oh, come on, overcome that short-term dissatisfaction for the long-term satisfaction of really wanting whatever that that goal was. But anyways, I thought that was I thought that was awesome. Kind of along the, you know, along this thought process of of long-term thinking, one of the things that I love so much about your book or one of the quotes was something about how patience becoming your competitive advantage and that's something that I have really tried to adopt and really tried to be like to feel, to feel like patience is one of my competitive advantages. And I've interviewed a guy named Jimmy Allen, who's a country singer, and he kind of felt the same way. He obviously didn't use that phrase, but he felt like he was going to stick it out no matter what longer than anybody else was. And everybody else was going to quit before, before he would. And so patience was his competitive advantage. But one of the reasons why patience is so hard is because you're not seeing outcomes come from your actions quickly. And unfortunately, there's just a gap 
there's results and actions are not always closely related in time and space. There's this gap. And so what have you found for yourself and for other people that allows them to continue to take action even when there's no guaranteed outcome on the other end of it? Yeah, this is this is the crucial question next. So I'm glad you're asking it because, yeah, I mean, the, the truth is, I mean, people are pretty rational. And so even if something was hard, if they felt like there was a guaranteed result, like people would, you know, most people, not everybody, but most people would probably do it. They'd be like, all right, well, I know for sure it's going to pay off. But the problem mm-hmm. here is we can we can, you know, be kind of certain, pretty certain, but mostly there are not guarantees in life. And so for a lot of people, they are absolutely not willing to to make that trade off um, where you're investing a lot and you might you might uh, not get it at the end. But for the people, the interesting thing, I mean, the metaphor that I like to use is if you're starting the marathon, you know, there's this horde of people, right? But there's not the same horde of people that finish the marathon. A lot of people drop out along the way. It's a lot less crowded at the end. We think there is so much competition, but it actually gets easier rather than harder as you progress in the journey because there are fewer people who are attempting to do what you're doing. And, you know, in my previous book, Entrepreneurial You, I profiled a guy named Jordan Harbinger, who's a fellow podcaster. And today he has a very successful uh, podcast, you know, you know, kind of top, top rated one. But a big part of his success is that he has, I mean, it's kind of stunning because podcasting is a young art, but he has been podcasting consecutively for 15 years. Like he has really put in a lot of time with this and there's so many people along the way that start a podcast. You know, there's a study that was done um, where the average podcast, get, people record 12 episodes and then they quit. Like that's the average. And, and yep. so um, to actually just have the longevity of being like the guy who's willing to do it for 15 years, you know, yes, you have to be good, but also there is not a lot of competition because most people really have not done that and are not willing to do that. So anyway, to answer your actual question, how do you prepare yourself to weather those difficult times? Um, honestly, part of it is, um, is I believe, proper scoping. And what I mean by this is that a lot of people fail to do basic research beforehand to try to actually understand based on other people's past experience what they can expect in terms of how mm. thing will take. We kind of think we know or we make these guesses, but we have not actually systematically looked like, okay, you know, I want to I want to have a, you know, a top podcast or, oh, I want to get promoted to senior vice president or whatever it is. Well, all right. You know, this is not something that that is like unique in the universe. People have done this before. And so we actually do have some data. So if you look around and you see, oh, okay, well, at my company. Most people to get SVP, they have to have been here between, you know, eight and 12 years. Like that's when they reach it, let's say. Okay, that's really helpful data because, you know, if you're expecting to get that within four years, I mean, I'm not saying it can't be done, but I'm saying, wow, that would be an extremely unusual circumstance. So you better, you better either really over deliver something insane or recognize that if you're feeling angry and dissatisfied by year four, if you haven't made SVP, you might've had irrational expectations and 
you know, if if we go into it instead saying, you know what, this is probably about a decade long project, you're not going to be predisposed to quit at year four or year seven or year nine, because you'll understand, you know what, I'm just getting to the good stuff now. The, you know, mm-hmm. if I hang on a little longer, it's likely to happen. I think I think that's so critical, not doing the basic, the proper scoping, not doing the basic research on the front end, because I do feel like a lot of people, we set goals without clear insight as to what all it's going to take from a time perspective, from a sacrifice perspective, from a education perspective. We, we don't know how long it's going to, what it's going to take to be able to get to that goal. And then when we actually are acting upon it, we're like, oh man. And then people are, are impatient. And one of the things that I that I love are four questions that you have in your book. I, th- I think it's kind of along these same same lines of coming up with a, when you're coming up with a goal, like asking yourself, what's the total cost or the total commitment? What's the physical and emotional cost? What's the opportunity cost? How am I going to feel about this in a year? Like, I think those four questions really bring up a lot of proper reflection for somebody before potentially setting a goal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it- Thank you for for raising that, Nick. I mean, one of the things that I kept hearing during the conversations that I had while I was researching the long game and now, you know, a year into it, giving talks about it and speaking with audiences, it's not that people don't want to be long-term thinkers. I mean, there's pretty much nobody that's like, oh, that's terrible. Who wants to be a long-term thinker? You know, like pretty much people are like, yeah, that sounds good. The problem is not them buying into the concept. The problem is them actually doing it. The problem is them actually executing on it. And what seems to be the largest factor is that people just get so sucked up into the short term and the day to day, they feel like they don't have an option. They feel like they don't have an out. They they just can't see the long term because they're they're so busy with these like day to day crises and minutiae and things like that. And so a big part, you know, like literally probably the first third of the long game is actually talking about how do you clear more white space in your calendar and in your life? Because if you don't have that, you know, it's not, it's not like you have to go on some silent retreat for six months. I mean, it doesn't take something that extreme, but you need a little bit of margin. Uh, and if you don't have it, it becomes extremely difficult um, just at a structural level to be able to have the space you need to do long-term thinking. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what are some of those things that people can do to create some white space? Because there are definitely people who are listening who are like, I'm too busy. There's no way I can set aside any kind of time for long-term thinking. Yeah. So there, there are some formulations that I have in the long game, some sort of ideas and strategies that, uh, that I share. And, um, you know, one, one of my favorite kind of Zen koans to bonder is the idea of getting comfortable saying no to good things. And mm-hmm. what I mean by that specifically, you know, I mean, people are people are smart enough to, you know, generally, uh, I guess if somebody's like a crazy pushover, they wouldn't. But in general, people are smart enough to say no to bad things. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, we, we get that. But the problem comes that at a, at a certain point, I mean, you know, when we start our career, the correct answer is to say yes to everything, because frankly, you don't have much else on your calendar. You know, it's like, oh, somebody wants to talk with me. Somebody wants to have a coffee. Somebody wants to pick my brain. Yay. You know, like you feel so special because like somebody wants to talk to you. And that's great. That's great when you're first starting and there's nothing else to do. But, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years into your career. Oh, my goodness. 
If you keep up that practice, if you do the same thing, you are going to run yourself into the ground because the circumstances have changed. A lot more people know who you are. A lot more people, you know, are sort of looking up to you because of the successes that you've achieved. And it, it becomes a fool's errand because you could spend all of your time responding to these inbound requests that take you off course as compared to the things that are priorities for you. So you have to adjust. And so it, it means that, you know, whereas early in your career, yeah, say yes to everything. Later on, as you progress, you need to start saying no to more and more things. For sure, you say no to the bad things, but even good things, because just at a, at a certain point, there is not enough time. There's literally structurally not enough time for you to do it. And so you have to be a little bit merciless. It can be painful to say no to a good thing that you want to do. But unless you want to drive yourself crazy and, and under deliver on everything, you need to. Otherwise, you'll be pulled too thin. No, I think that's, I think that's so critical. And one of the reasons why through that lens, that long-term thing is so important is I feel like it's easier to say no to maybe good things when you know that it's a distraction for the long-term goal, but you have to have the long-term goal to know it's a distraction. And so I think a lot of people struggle to say no because they don't know where they're going. And so they need to know that the thing they're saying no to actually is a distraction. I think that one of the things that a lot of people are going to be able to relate with you on is how back in, I think it was 2015 when you gave 74 different talks, so about a talk and a half a week throughout that year, and then you kind of rounded out the year toward, d- during the holiday season where you were pretty sick, you weren't feeling well because you were basically kind of you know burnt out from all your travel, from all your work that you've done in 2015. Talk to us about, first off, what your biggest takeaway from that was and how you've lived life differently because of that takeaway. Yeah, thank you. Well, it's it's true. Um, 2015 was the year that my second book, Stand Out, came out. And I really wanted to over-index on marketing it and giving talks and being out there. And and I did, you know, I succeeded in that goal. So that was nice. But uh, but also uh, in the process, I, I just ran myself down because um, I was traveling all the time. I was barely at home. And, you know, it's exhausting. It's disruptive to your routine. It's hard to it's hard to eat properly. It's hard to exercise when you're traveling that much. Um, I spent, it felt like all my time either packing or unpacking or being in a cab or something. And it just wasn't mm-hmm. a satisfying way to live. So, I mean, there's a lot of things that I did, but one immediate one actually was the next the next year for 2016, I decided I was really going to turn over a new leaf. So I created a goal for myself um, where my idea I wanted to to tr- just try to savor a little bit more the place the place that I was um, because you know I, I was living in New York and it was very expensive to live in New York and I was like why why am I paying so much money to be here if I'm not even doing anything or like making use of it so I came up with an idea that I would do uh, as I called it one uniquely New York activity per week so something mm. that I felt like could only be done in New York but also if I was traveling. I tried to do this as well. So if I had the week in Seattle, I had to pick a uniquely Seattle activity so that I could, you know, suck the marrow out of my time. So it, it brought me to start going to Broadway shows. I did like neighborhood tours in New York. I, you know, did these kind of iconic things like, oh, let's visit the Rainbow Room or, you know, something like that. 
So um, that that was both a fun thing. You know, it was, it was a thing to look forward to. It was a thing to just kind of break up monotony. It gave me an excuse to reach out to friends to do something and a way, I think, to, to create a little bit more balance. But it also it also did end up uh, as a result of starting to go to these Broadway shows. Uh, it led me to a new 10 year goal for myself, which I created in 2016. And the 10 year goal is to write uh, to to learn to write musical theater, uh, which I have now done. I now can write musical theater, uh, which I could not do at the beginning of this. And uh, I, I had a 10 year goal of wanting to write a show that made it to Broadway. So I'm still hard at work on this goal. Wow, that's awesome. That's that's super cool. I think I think one of the things that you say in your book is like when you do certain things, it will open up. It can open up opportunities or ideas in different areas as well, which I think is is super cool. And you know, I think a lot of people probably listening feel like they're running themselves into the ground. And I think that the like principle of setting a goal that requires you in order to achieve that goal to you know either take some time for yourself or just take time away from work I think that's really important I recently set a goal a golf goal for myself a golf performance goal and I never thought I would be somebody who would be able to spend an extra five six seven hours a week out of the golf course slash driving range and I did and it, it was it was because I had this goal that I deemed valuable to play golf to make it sure make it where I didn't overwork myself yeah, that's that's great. It's a perfect example. So, so how how are you doing? What's your handicap, man? It's good. So my handicap is, I think my handicap is like ten right now. But the biggest thing, impressive, good job. Well, I, I appreciate it. But the biggest thing was I played in a member guest tournament with my dad, and we came in third place out of sixty. And so that was one of the biggest. Like that was kind of like the back end. This is what I'm what I'm really working for. So, uh, anyways, I'm I'm in, intrigued now in this this ten year goal that you had for yourself. I think a lot of people, maybe when they would originally come up with the idea of the goal like that, of wanting to be able to write a show that goes on a Broadway, would not do it because they would convince themselves that something like that is not possible. How did you overcome the maybe the thought of, who, am I, who, am I, who would I be doing to create a Broadway show? We'll be back to the interview in just a second. But first, I wanted to share a quick testimonial from a past participant of the 10-week transformation program. I started running the 10WT in the beginning of 2020, and I've had over 150 people on counting go through it, and they've seen amazing results both inside and out. If you're inspired to join after listening to the testimonial, then go to nickcarrier.com to learn more. We'll get back to the episode in just a minute, but first, here's what they had to say. My name is Ashley Reed. I joined the 10-week program really because I wanted to lose a little bit more weight and gain strength. I accomplished both of those things. I'm definitely stronger, and I've also made some incredible friends in the process, which I didn't expect. You're just silly if you don't do this. You know, I, I just, I in a lot of ways, I just think it's kind of a mindset issue. I feel like, you know, I'm an intelligent person, and if I put my mind to something, I can do it. And I feel I feel like that's true for just about anybody. I mean, mm. people always love to have like this sort of stupid use case of like, just because you want to play in the NBA doesn't mean you can play in the NBA. It's like, all right, fine. All right. <laughs> like, I understand maybe athletics is a, is a different thing. I'm not going to be six foot seven. That is not going to happen. I understand. Um, but, you know, for anything that involves, you know, your mind and things that you can learn, like, you know, people can learn it. 
So, you know, I, I've spent my whole life, like just whatever being kind of pathetic at learning French, like half learning French and never actually learning French. And, you know, I accept that, you know, some people may pick it up a little faster than me, you know, like it's probably not my strong suit, but that doesn't mean I can't do it. If I moved mm-hmm. to the front of my priority list, if I, you know, moved to Paris for six months or a year or something, I guarantee you I could speak French, you know, I mean, just because you're not the fastest or you're not, you know, you don't take to it as quickly as somebody else. I mean, that's, that's surely true for almost all things in a world of 7 billion people, but it doesn't mean you can't do it. Of course you can do it. Of course I could write, you know, a Broadway show. Of course I could, you know, whatever, write a, you know, write a science fiction novel, or I could, you know, learn to fly an airplane or whatever. It it just depends if I want to spend my time doing it. But if you are a reasonably intelligent person who is willing to be persistent, of course you can do these things. Yeah. Amen to that. Amen to that. Uh, b- before I get into the wrap up, I want to ask kind of one more question on this because I think a lot of people come up with dreams or goals of things that they could do. But then you also need to ask yourself whether it's worth it or not. And so how did you decide that a 10-year goal takes a lot of time, energy, and effort over that period of time. How did you kind of decide that this was something that was worth it? It it was worth spending the time to learn how to write the, I guess, the the music, and then it was going to be worth the time to actually write the show itself. Was it just kind of, you knew you would really enjoy it, you knew that it would be a valuable experience, you knew you could make money from it. Like, what were the different things that you thought about that made it, like, this is definitely worth it. I'm going to do it. You know, this this um, is an answer that, you know, probably is going to be different for everybody. But in my particular case, it was the nature of how it came to me. Because mm-hmm. I, I literally woke up one morning, you know, it was the night after I saw I saw a show on Broadway uh, with a friend, and I it, I really loved it. It was a fantastic show, it was Fun Home, which won the Tony in 2016. And I woke up the next morning, and I just was sort of beset with this feeling, this like very strong feeling that I need to learn to write musical theater. And it was it was just it was very it was very anomalous <laughs> because I had previously had no interest in writing musical theater. This is not anything that I would have really considered. And so because it was so anomalous, I felt compelled to listen to it. And I just really felt like, all right, well, this I guess this is kind of a message from the universe. And I am trying to be thoughtful and listen to that and be open to that. And so, all right, if the universe is telling me to do it, then I guess I should do it. And so that has just marched me forward. I'm like, all right, well, apparently this is the thing. This is the plan. And I think, mm. you know, for some people, um, you know, you experience that at different times. I mean, I've, I, you know, it's not like I experience it all the time, but a few times in my life I have. And those are sort of strong senses or intuitions that I feel like are worth listening to. But, you know, so if you have one of those, I think that's great. Uh, if you don't, I mean, you, you can certainly just subject it to rational inquiry. And that, you know, at a really basic level is like, all right, so do I, you know, do I feel comfortable? Like, I mean, you know, here's the thing, right? If I write a show that is successful on Broadway, yeah, it'll probably make some good money. Um, 
But also, I mean, is the show going to get to Broadway? Uh, could it get to Broadway and then, you know, be a flop? I mean, yeah, all those things are highly possible. It's it's certainly not a guaranteed moneymaker at the end of this. But am I willing to do it anyway? You know, do I would, would I find the process valuable? Would it be interesting enough? Is it worth it to try? You know, again, I think the crucial thing is the the result is not guaranteed. If it were, it's a different equation. But if, you know, the question is, um, would it would it still be worth it to you to try, even mm. if it doesn't work? And if you can answer in the affirmative, then that's probably worth doing. Yeah, I think that's I think that's so key. You know, we don't want to set goals just solely based off of the outcome. We want to set goals goals based off of the people that we're going to become through the process of chasing down that goal, and then also like the people you're going to meet. And there's so many different things that make a goal so valuable to you outside of just the outcome and the result. And so I think that realizing that and, and asking yourself the question of, it, is it worth it outside of the outcome and, and the result? I think that's, I think that's super key. But uh, before I ask the last question here, Dory, I just want to acknowledge you for staying kind of persistent throughout your career, even though it was all over the place. And, you know, it's really cool looking back at it now that you are kind of doing the things that you originally said you wanted to do, but, you didn't follow the path that you thought you were going to be able to, that you were going to follow. And so I think that's a huge lesson and thing for people to always remember is maybe you have this goal and you're not on the path that you thought you would be on and route to it, but you actually might be on the exact path that you're supposed to be on. So remember that. So I want to acknowledge you for, for working through that. And I, I just think that the long game is a masterpiece and I know that it's affected so many people's lives and I know it will continue to do so. And I know that so many people listening today are want to go, want to go grab a copy of it. So y'all make sure you go grab the long game, how to be a long-term thinker in a, in a short-term world. Um, and also make sure you go follow her on Instagram. If you don't already at Dory Clark and you can go visit Dory Um, is there any other good place where people should go learn more about you and support you? Oh, thank you, Nick. I appreciate it. Well, you've mentioned some good ones. I'll, I'll just add in that if folks are interested in strategic thinking, I have a, a free strategic thinking self-assessment uh, and folks can get it for free at doryclark.com slash the long game. What? Give us, give us just one tidbit on that. What, what would people, what is the benefit of the strategic thinking self-assessment? Well, I think oftentimes, again, you know, people people like the idea conceptually of, of strategic yeah, thinking, yeah. long-term thinking. But, you know, one piece, as we talked about, is like, ah, I'm too busy. But if we get past that, if they're like, all right, I'm going to give it a try, the next uh, problem that people run into is like, uh, how do I get started? Like, what, yeah. what should I even be asking here? Like, how, how do I kind of get into that mindset? And so it's a uh, it's a detailed series of questions that are basically prompts to help you get in that mental space and sort of, you know, do a better job tapping into your aspirations and help you come up with um, the, the sort of basis for your long term vision. So it's really just kind of a roadmap to try to make it a little easier for people to ideate in that way. Yeah, I love it. I love it. I know that'll be valuable for a lot of people out there. So make sure you go uh, check that out as well. We'll have all that stuff in the show notes. Uh, but last question here, Dory, is that I think that getting closer to the best version of yourself is a constant journey and a unique journey. I don't think that we ever actually get 
to that best version of ourselves. And I also think that the way that I get there is going to be a little bit different from the way that you get there. So the last question is for you personally, if there are three things that you could currently do or currently work on to get closer to the best version of Dory Clark that you could possibly be, then what are those three things you could currently do or currently work on? Nice. All right. We're, we're coming up with the, with the action list here. So, Let's go. yeah. So in terms of, in terms of my, you know, self, self-improvement regimen, um, you know, certainly one thing that I am trying to do, um, more consistently is, uh, is my exercise routines and, uh, and being good about that. I, I would say on average, I'm probably like maybe three times a week, but I'm trying to see if I can get it up to almost every day. I think, I think seven days a week is probably over ambitious, but if I can get it up to like five or six, I feel like that would be pretty on point. So I am, uh, I'm working on that goal. I would say another one that I think is important is being, you know, continuing to improve and being better about, um, proactively reaching out to friends. Um, you know, I have some friends that, you know, I don't, I don't necessarily mean the people you see all the time, but I mean, maybe sort of the next tier out. I have some friends that are just so good about periodically, like sending a text message to be like, Hey, just checking in. How you doing? You know? And I feel like that's so nice. And I'm often too, you know, too busy. I say in air quotes to think, to do that, but it's very thoughtful when you receive those messages. And so I want to be a little bit more like that. I think that that's um, something worth striving for. And then, you know, uh, another thing about just kind of leveling up is, again, you know, we were talking about this with a with a white space. Uh, and these things are always a journey, right? Because as, again, uh, the policies that you put in place now, they're not going to hold you the rest of your life. Because you are getting more successful and more people want things. So you have to kind of tweak them and and make it a little bit tighter. And so I think refining, uh, continuing to refine my calendaring, essentially, Mm -hmm. so that I'm protecting enough white space um, so that I am able to do the content creation that kind of the, the baseline of what I do and enables me to reach more people at scale. I think that's that's actually one of the most valuable things I can be doing. So I'm continuing to tweak the algorithms there. That's awesome. Those are three great things. I, those are so key, and I, I relate with a lot of them as well. And uh, I know that a lot, so many people got a ton of value here today. So again, y'all make sure you go grab the long game, and you also make sure, I, I know I'm going to go do this later as well, it's take the strategic thinking self-assessment at, at doryclark.com. I, I know that will help so many of you guys, along with what Dory has talked about here today, that will help you to, once you set aside the white space to sit down and think about this, to actually have a method through which to think about it. So make sure you go check that out as, check that out as well. But Dory, that's all we got today. Thanks so much for the time. It was great. Thank you, Nick. Great talking with you. Man, I absolutely loved that conversation with Dory, and I really hope you did too. And if you did, then make sure you share it with a friend or family member who maybe struggles to think long-term and just send them to nickcarrier.com slash podcast. And remember, before attacking a goal, do what Dory calls proper scoping, meaning do the research on the front end to know what the process to achieving that goal will look like, both from a actual activity standpoint, the practical standpoint, and a timeline perspective. 
And remember to get comfortable saying no to good things. Like, man, that was so good. And remember that a wise person is willing to pivot when new facts arise. And like Dory said, especially if the new fact changes your deep down desire for the achievement of that goal. But for now, it's time. It's time to keep consistent with your exercise routine. It's time to be proactively reaching out to friends and to continue to refine our calendars because those things will help you continue to get closer and closer to your best you.